passage today, Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Um, so if everybody would stand for the reading of God's word. And before we begin, um, children are dismissed to Children's Church so they can go into the back. Okay, let's begin. In him, we have obtained, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. Uh, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thank you. You may be seated. the hymn says, Jesus and all in him is mine. Amazing love. How can it be? That's something to marvel about. That's something to be amazed. Or the good old English word flabbergasted. <laughs> Just laying on the floor going, What? How can, I'm amazed, how can it be that Jesus and all in him is mine? And our text today guides us to to know this. Paul is praying for his loved ones in Ephesians 1. I'm praying I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease without ceasing praying, giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. What is he praying for? He's praying, see verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Father of glory, That's a key word for the book of Ephesians, a key word for the Bible. God is the God of glory. He's the Father of glory, the perfect Father. No imperfections, no abuse of power, no no abandonment issues uh, with this Father. He's trustworthy. He's the one who has the plan, the perfect plan. Um, Beautiful, the Father of glory, that this God... That, see verse 17, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. The spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Who is the him? Well, it's probably God the Father, but it also seems like he's pointing toward Jesus Christ as well. The knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Just love that expression. This is not what we'd call sort of head knowledge, sort of cold, calculated data. This is from the heart. We're to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. Turn the light on in what our heart sees, what our heart loves, what are we passionate about. Jesus and all in him is mine. We, we need to learn through our hearts what we should be passionate about. What is our life about? Where are we going? We're starting a new decade. 
starting a new year. Uh, what does God want us to be about? So he says that you're, that having, verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So there's three things here. This is what we should be knowing, that we should know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, probably an expansion of the idea of hope. In other words, what is the hope? It's the this riches of it, the glorious, there's that word again, effervescent, shining, hard to define, like, like these, you know, dithered, that, is that the word, dithered? Anyway, it's close to it anyway. Uh, the dots of light, you know, it just goes off into uh, something magnificent, shining, that's glory, the glorious inheritance in the saints. Uh, we have this inheritance Peter says it's, it's incorruptible, it's, it's in heaven for us. It ends for the believer, it ends in perfection, it ends in heaven. Uh, that's where we're going, that's the goal. It's not an end, like dead end, end of the road, boom, you got it, there's perfection, that's it. Uh, that's, that's the goal to which all of this is going. Uh, an eternity, Jesus and all in him is mine, okay? That's going to be the, possibly the theme of my message today. So the three things. Hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? And then what is the, what is the illustration of that immeasurable power? Like I said, power, I love, I love power. Everybody is attracted to something powerful. Um, something that's uh, just, just unleashes uh, energy. And God, God's placed energy right in our, in our natural world. It's just uh, phenomenal. It's just amazing. The energy in, in one atom. The, and the energy in water. California boasts the hardest working water in the world is up in the Sierras. They'll have a, a series of reservoirs. They bring the water down, let it create energy, electricity, and then it goes to another reservoir, recreates more energy, and then goes to another reservoir and creates more energy. Uh, just, just the weight and the gravity pushing those turbines uh, at incredible speeds. We respect, I respect power. And this text says we're supposed to know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So ultimately that is illustrated in the next chapter, which is, see verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Uh, and he makes us alive. <laughs> and what, what, what do we deserve? As sinners, we deserve incessant torture, uh, separation from God in hell. That's what we deserve. And he takes us dead. It takes immeasurable power to, to take us from that to everlasting life, to glory, to heaven, to forgiveness. What does it take to forgive sin? You know, what does it take to forgive sin? The Bible tells us that it takes the blood of the perfect, infinite Lamb of God. Who, this individual who is infinitely powerful. Sin is a big deal. It happens to be, he calls it the whole curse on the whole globe. All suffering, all pain, all disease comes from sin. That's how big this problem is. We want to dumb it down. Because we all participate in it. We're all sinners. We say, well, I'm only human. You know? But it's a massive problem. And, and how, how do you know that? I mean, I, I'm driving this point. You know it's such a massive problem by what did it take to solve the problem? This problem is not solved 
by, you know, giving gifts to poor people at Christmas time. That's a really good thing to do. Uh, by the way, our church participated in that, and, and uh, we brought this big, huge pile of gifts over to a, a family over in Seaside, and, you know, this, this, we didn't get, you didn't get to meet the family, okay, but we brought them there, and you can imagine how uh, happy and glorious that was for them. And that's a good thing to do, and we ought to do good works, but none of our good works outweigh the evil of our sin. It takes massive divine intervention. Jesus and all in him is mine, you see. That's why all of our righteousness is like a filthy rag, like a menstrual cloth. It's unholy. We cannot deserve forgiveness. It's this massive free forgiveness, uh, forgiveness given, granted by the work of God. You know, take salvation for granted. It's granted by God, okay? It's given. <laughs> I know that English expression means, like, to take something for granted. But I say, take it for granted. It's given, granted to us in Jesus Christ. Uh, and it takes, takes immeasurable, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So I want to look at this text that tells us who makes this happen, right? It's Jesus. Jesus makes this all happen. Uh, and in the middle of this text, which we read over a few times, haven't really talked about uh, in a sermon yet, the, where in verse 19, where he picks it up. See, I have 19 through 21 for today's text. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but by the way, it is in this age. You know, hallelujah. Jesus, the name of Jesus is far above every name that is named. He's, he's far above any political figure, far above any inventor, far above any you know, in, industrial billionaire. You know, he's much more exciting, much better, much more amazing. Uh, above every name that is named, not only in this age. I mean, that's a trivial thing. It's a trivial thing to be famous in this age. That's, that's nothing <laughs> compared to the age to come. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. And who is this Jesus? He's the, he's the, the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's one of the themes of Ephesians 1, too. The all, right? God, verse 11 it says he works all things according to the counsel of his will. He's utterly sovereign over all things. The all is the Greek. The word things is brought in in English as a tool to help us understand it. It's just the all. Ta panta is the Greek. Ta panta. The all. God works the all. And that's exactly what we have here. The fullness of him who fills all in all. He's filling it all. How, who is this individual? Because Jesus Christ is filling all in all. So in the next couple of minutes, let's, let's look at this idea, these, these words from this text. Uh, let us pray. Father, as we enter into this description of Jesus Christ, we thank you for this opportunity. We pray that this would be a, an awesome start to all of, our, all of our new years coming in 2020. We don't know what this year holds. We don't know what this day holds. And we certainly don't know what the decade holds. But we know that you hold it all. And we want to go into it holding your hand. We thank you especially for those who are marking anniversaries with us today. Bless them. And thank you for their marriages. Continue to strengthen and bless them in their marriage. Thank you for all of us here today. We come. We're hungry. We need you to feed us. Through your precious word, we pray that you would. In the name of Jesus, amen.
All right. So we're going to look at some of the text, of the, this text, and as it relates to other texts in the Bible about who Jesus is and what he does, his power and his greatness. Uh, my theme will be from this verse. This is John 17, 3. And, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's eternal life, to know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. That's eternal life, uh, to know him, to trust him, to know what he did, to know who he is, to know the cost of my redemption in the person of Jesus Christ. John 17, 3, Jesus said this in a prayer to God the Father, to know him. Here's another way of saying it. Knowing Jesus is to know God. We've made that point before. I think it's awesome. I love um, verse 17. Look, if you have your Bible, look at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, what God? What God are you talking about? Well, we're, we're talking about the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> that describes who he is. If you try to put a split between those two things, like I want God, but I don't want the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're not talking about the God of the Bible. You're not talking about the only true living God. You're not talking about your creator. You're not talking about the one who sustains your very life. You're not. Because the God of the Bible is the God of the Lord, Jesus Christ. That's mercy, my friends. How does he reveal himself? In Christ. In the one who died for my worthless, sinful soul. Hallelujah. Knowing Jesus is to know God. Knowing the living God. I, I'm privileged to have a family, right? And I have some cousins who are atheists. And we're friends on Facebook. And I'm kind of sort of building a friendship with them too over the years as a witness. And my dear cousins, uh, they live in France now. She said, I, she, oh, she, and she was visiting Rome. And she got in a taxi with all of her ID in, in a purse or something. Hopped out of the taxi and left it there. So she's in Rome without a passport. Um, you know, that's that's really uncomfortable, you know. <laughs> and so she says, I, I don't have the exact quote, but it's something like, could you please send out, you know, waves of requests to the powers of the universe? Seriously, on Facebook, that, that, that I might find my purse. You know, I, and I said to her, Eve, is it okay if I pray to the living God? that you find your purse. Yeah. <laughs> and she said that would be okay. <laughs> so pray for my cousin, cousin's wife, Eve. But that, that's a, don't, we don't toss that word around. That's a huge word. Knowing the living God leads to life. This is eternal life. That you, you know the only true God. Hallelujah. And, and this knowing the living God leads to, leads to a life, and it leads to a life lived for him. We're imperfect, but we're growing. These are all goals. We're growing toward living for him. Secondly, it leads to a life of worship. We should be people who love to worship this amazing God. And it leads to a life of peace of mind. Ultimately, we're growing and, and these are just three things. We could probably add six or seven more. But a life lived for him, a life of worship, and a life with a peace of mind. And I'm thinking of peace of mind in two ways. One, it's emotional peace. We should be growing in emotional peace. We trust him. He's the father of glory. So emotionally, we're growing to be more stable, more peaceful, more trusting, less anxious. Amen? It's a goal for 2020. <laughs> but also, it's, it's intellectual, too. 
we, ha- we should have be growing in intellectual peace because we, we begin to know God, the God of purpose, the God who is the creator, the God of all capability. It's, it is emotional but also intellectual satisfaction. Okay, so we need to know Jesus. Jesus is our king. King Jesus is all, my all in all, the old spiritual says. He is my all. Jesus Christ is the revelation of the glory and power of God. So we're here to know him. So first thing I see in this text is he's seated at the right hand. He's seated at the right hand. Again, look at this text. Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. And the verb tenses are intentional. Christ is seated now at the right hand of God. He's seated at the right hand of his right hand in the heavenly places. And what does this mean? Well, it first means that he's, he's the victor. He has the victory. He's, he's, he's not still battling. He's not still on the battlefield. He has won the victory. You know, I love, I love uh, John. Uh, and I was thinking of John 17. Look at John 17 real quickly. It says, verse, verse, just a very the preamble. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished. That's, the, that's what I was going for. Jesus has accomplished the work that you gave me to do, the Father gave him to do. What was that work? To give eternal life to those whom the Father had given him. It's accomplished. They, the church, you know, telescopically, because this happened like 2,000 years before you and I were born. But if you are a believer, Christ said it is finished, and he has accomplished the work. He has saved you completely, and he's sitting down now. That's the symbol of having done the work. You don't sit, you know, don't sit down. The work's not done yet, you know. Get, find some way to get this thing going. Uh, I was blessed to work in carpentry for a little while in, in, uh, in, in college, back a few years. But I learned some lessons there. And one of the lessons is, one of the lessons is, on the job site, they don't like you lollygagging. <laughs> if you find any lollies, don't gag them. Okay, let them go. <laughs> what I mean is, they, what they want is somebody looking around for the next thing to do? Because they're always in a hurry. Get it done. Get it done. And my friend Rich Wolfram used to say, Nail it! You know, we're holding this board. I mean, nail it! Get it done! So then we can sit down <laughs> and have a cup of coffee. It's time for a break occasionally. But Jesus, Jesus is, is sitting down. And he is the victor. You know, that's why we worship him. He's the overcomer. He's, he's our Lord who has won the battle. Uh, Psalm 110, verse 1, let me quote it. The Lord says to my Lord, interesting trinity, Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Have a seat, we've got this covered. Here's Hebrews 3, excuse me, Hebrews 1, 3 through 4. Speaking of Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact 
imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Who is this Jesus? The end of our text, which we're going to get to, Lord willing, next week, he's the one who fills all in all. You can't get bigger than that, okay? You simply can't get any bigger than that statement. He fills all in all, and he's the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. We look out, the Hubble back in the 80s, right? Gave us pictures of all the billions of galaxies out there. And this says it's personal. He's personally upholding it by his, the word of his power. It says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has, an inherit- he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. See, Jesus, and we're just opening this up a little bit today, Jesus is the perfect consolidation of creator, sustainer, savior, victor, and highest authority. He's worthy of our praise, you see. And then then the Bible tells us about his sitting there. He's not inactive. He's, He's an advocate for us at the right hand of the Father. He is an advocate. Christ, our advocate. He's pleading our case. You know, quite frankly, why isn't it that we get, you know, evaporated? Why don't we get evaporated when we sin? We we know Christ and then turn our back momentarily on Him and, and live for ourselves and sin. Why isn't that we are just consumed in that moment? Well, Jesus is our advocate. He's saying, you know, Father, my blood covers that sin. My blood is here to cover that sin. He is the advocate. Uh, Jesus said this uh, in Luke 22. He says, but from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And then 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And then here's great from Romans 8. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So this great victor sitting down is advocating for us. He's interceding for us. And I would say that's why we're not consumed. It's the mercy of God that we are not consumed. Let's look at uh, Hebrews together a little. Hebrews 7, please. Hebrews 7. We're going to look at a couple passages in Hebrews, perhaps. But right now, let's look at Hebrews 7, 23 through 25. 23, just a couple of verses. And these beautiful verses about Jesus. In fact, let's pull in verse uh, 22. This makes Jesus the guarantor. (laughs) The one who guarantees. The guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. See, it's the nature of who Jesus is that we need. We need the Savior who is not going to die we need this great leader, this great victor, this great advocate who is eternal and never to die. He continues forever. Verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So while he's sitting there at the right hand of God as the victor 
And as the advocate, he is very, very active. So let's look back at our text today in Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll pick up more description of who Jesus is. The text says we should know him. And the Bible has a lot of teaching about just who is this Jesus. And it says this about him down in verse 21 of Ephesians 1. He is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. That's quite a list. Far, He's saying any, any kind of authority you can imagine, Jesus is far above it. Far above. Not just above, right? But far above. So exciting text. He's far above all rule and authority. Praise God, he's more powerful than the Republicans and the Democrats. <laughs> you know? Hallelujah. Guess what? Jesus is above the Senate and the House. You know, hallelujah. Uh, we're in a you know, political quagmire. Our government's split and argumentative. And we as people of God are worshiping a higher power. <laughs> Who is our higher power? It's Jesus the Christ as he has been revealed to us. Uh, far above all rule, authority, power, there's that power word again, uh, and dominion, which is uh, like the, the king rules in his dominion. Let's look at some uh, more passages on this. Let's look at, first of all, Philippians chapter 2. There's this nice set of Four, like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, that Paul wrote. Paul wrote, uh, I think, 13. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. I'm going to look at Philippians, the one right after Ephesians. Philippians chapter 2. They're all written at slightly different times to different people, but by Paul the Apostle. He, he was, God revealed special truth to him, and we're benefiting from it. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples, when I leave, I'll send the Holy Spirit and he will lead you into all truth. So this is the truth that the Holy Spirit has led us to. Ephesians 2, 8 through 11, talking about Jesus and his incarnation. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by, become, by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Remember that phrase in the Ephesians passage, it, not only in this age, but in the age to come. We're in this age right now, and this prophecy is not being fulfilled in this age. When the new age comes, uh, the very first part of it, every human being who ever lived will be resurrected, and they will all acknowledge that there is one living God, the Creator, and they will all acknowledge that Christ is the Messiah, uh, unfortunately, the Bible reveals that it, at that point it's too late for them. They won't be saved because of that. But they go into eternity uh, uh, separated from God with the full knowledge that they rejected God's gift of salvation to them. I know that's harsh and perhaps sounds horrible, but that's what the Bible says. And that's why it's so important to get it straight now. You know, to come to Jesus now. Uh, and if we offend a few people by this message, it's, it's offense because we love you. You know? We have a problem. Okay, we live right next to fields uh, out, you know, and we have a problem sometimes with rodents. I know my, my wife probably won't tell them this, but, you know, <laughs> we, <laughs> we have some rodents. And uh, one of the best things I find are to, you know, you trap them, which is fine, and also poison them. And they love this poison. They come and just gobble it down, you know. But guess what? I keep it away from my grandkids. 
I keep the poison away from my grandkids. And, and if I ever saw them touching it, I would go berserk. I would, I would you know, get them away from it. But why? Because this is death. It's important. Get this gospel message that if you don't eat this, you will live. Get the gospel message that if you come to Christ, you will be saved. You will be saved. All who believe will be saved. But there is coming this time when all will acknowledge, all the atheists, all the, the doubters, all the enemies, all the false religionists will, will come and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that's who Jesus is. Let's look at Colossians. I said there are Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And one right after. Go to Colossians 1. Great revelation about Jesus in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Verses 15 through 23. Who is Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God. I just want to pause there and plug in John 1. If you were at our, our Christmas Eve service, I know some of you were, I read John 1. And John 1 says this, verse 18, um, No one has ever seen God. I looked up some artwork on sitting at the right hand of God. And there's so much, you know, Christian artwork out there that actually has an old man sitting on a throne and a younger man sitting next to him. It's like, God is a spirit. We should not have images of God. This is blasphemous. I, mean, uh, I think it's breaking the no graven images. We don't have images of God. Uh, God is invisible. He, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Verse 18 of John 1, no one has ever seen God. You will never see God. You will never, ever see God. You'll see Jesus because he's a human being who is God. And so in a way you could say, yeah, I'll see God. But he's talking about God the Father. He has no body. He has, yes, the Bible says he has hands and eyes, but it's anthropomorphisms. In other words, it's revelation so that we can understand it. I, I, I don't know why I'm getting excited about this, but I just, it's just so basic. And people just don't, don't know this. No one has ever seen God. And now look at this. This is wonderfully crazy. No one has ever seen God. The only God, and he's talking about Christ there, he's the only God. God exists as a trinity. They're one and three. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And that's a great verb for Bible teachers because it's the word exegesis. He, Jesus has exegeted God. Hallelujah. Exegesis means to bring out, exit, to lead out, to bring out the truth. That's what I'm trying to do with the Holy Scripture today. And that's what any good Bible teacher should be. You don't bring yourself in there. You get yourself out there. <laughs> you know, that's eisegesis, okay? That's bringing it in there. No, 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 no. You bring it out, okay? And that's what Jesus did. He brought it out. Who is God? What's he like? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. He has made him known. And what a revelation. What a joy. So that's where we are in Colossians 1.15. He, speaking of Jesus, he's the image, the icon. That's the word, icon. He's the icon. You click on him, it opens the whole page of who God is. Okay? Click on the icon. It's that simple. <laughs> he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And that means simply that he's the preeminent one in the household. It's not because he wasn't ever created the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. See, there it is. You can't be creation and then 
make a statement that by him all things. It doesn't say other things. There's a false religion that has their own Bible, and they stick the word other in there because they believe Jesus is creator. Um, I think that's the thing of Jehovah's Witnesses. For by him all things were created. Who is Jesus? He's the creator of all things. You know, don't accredit it to, to evolutionary chance. You're insulting Jesus. That's my creation. It didn't happen by stinking accident. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, you can make a bird to fly backwards like the hummingbird. You know, are you kidding me? Uh, yes, that's how powerful he is. That's how amazing he is. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's not a God who made the universe, wound it up, and stepped back. And let me see how this thing works. He upholds the universe, we've heard, by the word of his power. And here, he holds tapanta, the all, together. This is Jesus. That's what it took to save our wretched souls. This God to die for us. How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? That's Jesus. It says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 17, Colossians 1. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All right. That's who Jesus is. Let's look at uh, two more passages quickly. Well, not quickly. Uh, bad transition. Uh, Revelation. Let's look at the book of Revelation. And I want to compare two passages here. Revelation chapter 4. Verses 9 through 11, and Revelation 5, 8 through 14. So Revelation 4, 9 through 11. It's talking about the great throne room of God. And uh, I'm always saying, oh, I'm interrupting it, but we'll, we'll have to interrupt it due to time for today. Uh, but let's look at verse 8, for example. We're in the throne room of God, and it says, The four living creatures, each of them had six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever they cast their crowns before the throne saying worthy are you our lord and god to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things how important is creation in Holy Scripture? This is a bit of a hobby horse of mine because I think it's a hobby horse of the Bible. <laughs> and, it, you know, the big enmity of, of the Bible uh, is something that says there is no creation. But God created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. There's purpose and plan in all of God's creation. We saw down at the aquarium the other day, this sea snail, like like the big of a you know, huge walnut, say, and it had a. Have you seen this thing? It's got a, a mouth it sends down. It can be a foot long. His mouth. He's floating here, and his mouth is down here, and he's eating a shrimp 
at the, you can see it down at the aquarium. They have it all the time up on the second floor. <laughs> and the, the lady is saying, well, it's an amazing adaptation. Uh, yeah, it's the only creature that does this. <laughs> you know, it, it, it figured out, well, well, okay, I can't eat yet, so I have to grow it a little longer. So in another million, two million, a billion years, it'll be a little longer. No. It's, it's demonstrating God's creativity, maybe his sense of humor. <laughs> his, his mouth's so long, he can eat popcorn out of a gopher hole. <laughs> um, anyway, what am I saying? It's, it's, it's created beauty and diversity. Um, you created all things, and by your will, they existed and were created. So I'm comparing that, Revelation 4, 9 through 11, to the next page. Revelation 5, 8 through 14. And here, we we, that one we had God the Father in view, but listen to the words about Jesus Christ. Verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Honestly, it kind of just screeched to a stop there. The Bible's very clear. You only worship God. So, again, I'm being a little redundant here, but this is super foundational Christian theology. Jesus Christ is God. You know, He's the one who died for my sins. What did it take to pay for my sins? In heaven, I'll be there. I'm not going to be boasting. And he was saying, Jesus paid it all. You didn't need help. You know, we were in a hurry to get back to uh, Chicago the other day. We were flying, and I went up to the pilot. Said, "Everybody, kind of slow. You want me to get out of the plane and push?" <laughs> That's how, about how helpful it is if you think you're going to help save yourself. You know, you can't. It, you, you're going to perish in the process because you don't get the problem. I cannot push a plane 500 miles an hour at 50,000 feet in the air. I just can't do it. And, and I can't save myself. All, all for him. So the, the, the same group, I mean, it's incredible. The four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fall down before the lamb, each holding a harp. That's where we get the whole thing of harps in heaven. Uh, the, the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe. I mean, I'm from pagan roots, dear friends. I'm not a Jew. <laughs> I'm a pagan my forefathers, you know, worshipped the sun, moon, and stars in Scandinavia. But from every tribe, I'm ransomed by Jesus. Hallelujah. You guys can come any week, please. <laughs> we need a little more of this. Uh, <laughs> praise God. Anyway, sorry. Uh, you were slain by your blood. You ransomed. And notice the verb tense. It's past. It's finished. It's accomplished. You ransomed the people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The church is diverse. The church is a wonderful, glorious cacophony of culture and language. Let's not get a big iron and try to smash it all down to uniformity. Let's, ha let's enjoy the diversity. We should be the best champions of diversity ever. Because <laughs> this is it. This is the, the godly diversity. Um, and, and you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And I looked, and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice. Worship can be very quiet and talking, or it can be loud and and in heaven, there's going to be both kinds, I'm sure, but this is very loud. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing.
so let's bless Jesus today. So if I always want to close then with the, the, the rest of the text here. What we're saying is Jesus has a name above all names. You know, hallelujah. He has, he has a name above all names. Any name that is named, his is better. Jesus Christ, Yeshua, Hamashiach. And he put all things under his authority. God has placed all things under his authority in this age and the next. Jesus is the, the one who uh, brings it all together in this age and the next. And I just close with this, this thought right here. Lord Jesus, you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our praise. And, you know, let's make this our goal for 2020, to know this God, to know the hope, to know the, the riches of the inheritance and to know the indescribable power. Let's be power junkies. To be a, we're into the power of God. Because he could take a dead Jew buried in a rock and seat him in heaven. He's the universal ruler. <laughs> that, that's what he did. That's what the text says. And then he makes, takes us in, in the, uh, the train behind Jesus. The church follows Jesus as his kingdom. And he takes us and makes us priests. So let us be those people who are, are majoring on knowing him. And the, the three things I talked about at the very beginning is that this should lead to a life lived for him. This should lead to a life of worship. And it should lead to a life of peace of mind, emotional stability, and intellectual satisfaction. And the life lived for him will be a life that... that cares for other people, that reaches out to them, that loves them, that brings them to the gospel so they, they too can be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this tremendous holy text this morning. We praise you for the revelation of who Jesus Christ is and we do marvel even at the words of the old hymn that we sang at the beginning. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. We're humbled, O oh Lord, and we confess that that's the kind of salvation we needed. We needed infinite, powerful payment for our sins that were ransomed by the blood of the Lamb, and he's worthy. He's the one who is, who was, and is to come. And so we worship and praise him, O oh Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen.